Octa Non Verba is a show that's raw and real, featuring hard-hitting interviews with people that live by the ethos of actions, not words. Marcus Aurelius Anderson is a TEDx speaker, best-selling author, veteran, and leadership and mindset coach. With this show, you get to join Marcus as he goes inside the minds and experiences of the world's most successful warriors, leaders, entrepreneurs, and experts. With each episode, you're going to get the philosophies, concepts, tactics, and strategies these leaders use to turn adversity into victory. Live an extraordinary life based on actions, not words. Now, here's your host, Marcus Aurelius Anderson. Octa non verba is a Latin phrase that means actions, not words. If you want to know what somebody truly believes, don't listen to their words. Instead, observe their actions. I'm Marcus Aurelius Anderson, and my guest today truly embodies that phrase. For the last 18 years, peak performance coach and life strategist, Jesse Torres has coached thousands of high performers from all walks of life and various parts of the world that have achieved success and the highest level of fulfillment. She believes that the depth of our darkness is converse to the heights of our light. And if you can see the other side of darkness in the darkest moments, you can be witness to this beautiful soul when you are in those arenas. With that acknowledgement, you can bear witness to the courage, strength, and resilience that you possess and also took place in those darkest times. You can find out more about her and her incredible work at unshakablelife.com. Jesse, thank you so much for taking the time and for giving us your presence. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. Michael Osterlinks gave us the connection. And I was telling you before, sometimes it takes me a while to, to come around to people or to the due diligence necessary. But once I did, I was like, yes, Jesse's definitely cut from the same cloth. And I think that everyone needs your work, needs your message. And I think that we're going to have a tremendous conversation. So thank you for your expertise. Thank you. Appreciate it. Excited. So there's a lot of people out there that do work similar to what we do, but they don't always have the the depth or breadth of life experience to back up what they're talking about. Could you tell us a little bit about what got you into this work and what's led you on this path? Sure. This question is uh, tough to answer sometimes only from the context of trying to give you the read strategist version sure. of this journey. But first of all, I never understood or knew what coaching was at the time. I got married young at 18. And and before I dive into my actual story and journey, what brought me to this point, I want to make sure that I share that this in no way is to villainize anyone. As I share about my ex-husband or my my father, I really, I really feel it, it's important to, to help the audience know that, you know, I'm just sharing my story and what happened, but I live in nothing but forgiveness and acceptance today and, and harbor nothing. So this isn't to, to put anybody in a bad light. So um, my first 18 years, I went through abuse with my father. Um, don't have a memory of it not happening. And then got married at 18 when my um, then boyfriend, I just started dating. I didn't really have boyfriends in high school. I was the good girl and very kept by my father. But this young man came into my life. And when I turned 18, I rebelled. I wanted to get away from my father. And so he would tell me to be home at midnight. I'd be home at two. And so I went out with this gentleman and he brought me home late. My father was on the porch of the house and he looked at him and said, you get out, you get in this house. And, you know, went through his berating or whatever for me that night. But the next morning, my then boyfriend said, hey, what's up with your dad? And I said, what do you mean? He was mad because you brought me home late. 
And he said, no, 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 that was not an angry father. That was a jealous man. And that moment he opened up Pandora's box and he spoke to what I had been living my entire life. I had tried to tell my mom when I was 16 and my dad twisted my words. I used the word molest. Molestar in Spanish means to bother or annoy. So he turned that around and it was never spoken up again in my home. And so when he came and he brought this forward, I think I probably told him more than he needed to hear uh, for like two hours of just crying and sharing what was going on. But what happened is at the end of it, he still wanted to be with me. It short circuited my brain because at this point I had already attributed being gross and unlovable because I was, you know, touched in a way that, you know, from her father that no one would ever love me. So when he came in and he, first of all, called it out, second of all, still wanted to be with me, I fell madly in love. And um, we were both smitten with each other. He came from a very abusive, alcoholic uh, mother. Um, he was the youngest of four, the only boy. He would come home to find his sisters unconscious on the living room floor. So it was very, very brutal. And so what we decided as a 18 and 21 year old is that my children will never see, will never get molested. And he said, my children will never see me drunk. And we thought we fixed it. I, and at that point, I was still running from my father. My mom didn't understand. And so I wanted to move in with him. And my mother, my mother, who is of Catholic faith, which no offense, I, I honor everyone's journey, but she, she was not going to have her daughter live with a man and not be married. So I moved out Monday. I was married Friday. And at that point, I was in love. So it was for me, it was like golden. We made a commitment. And we knew what we were getting into at 18 and 21. <laughs> and, you know, from that, you know, proceeded a life of, you know, where we were bringing our emotional, you know, trauma to this marriage. And although we did have the, we, we thought the dog, the, the kids, the picket fence, like this is what we talked about. We pretty much created that. But in the context of our marriage, it was very volatile and very toxic. I knew how to be submissive. I knew how to be, you know, uh, live in shame. And my ex only knew how to communicate via vulgarities, anger, and rage. And so it was perfect fit. So, but from that, you know, we went through uh, a period of time. It was like a, a, I don't know, like a two-year span where we had four sudden deaths. He had an uncle who was six, six and a half, worked on the Puget Sound in Washington, walked on the shipyard and those big wrought iron balls with the hook on the end literally fell on his head. My ex was LAPD and he had a partner who did bike duty, 30, I think he was like 36 years old, went home, popped in a John Wayne movie and had an aneurysm and died, left a six and a four year old at the time. Then my ex-husband's sister committed suicide. He actually, we literally got that knock on the door with the police officers telling us that his sister had committed suicide. And a year later, my brother was murdered. So in the context of already a very tumultuous relationship, we got bombarded with these tragedies. And by 18 and a half years at this stage of the game, I was completely apathetic. The anger and the rage turned bigger and broader. And the more that I couldn't withstand with the words, the more volatile he would get. Our kids were now teenagers. So there was that to navigate. I became the human shield. And I, I was praying for somebody to blow the red light. 
I was done. I, I didn't know another way out. I didn't believe that I could get divorced. It was, just wasn't in my vision. And so I was wanting somebody to just take this life from me because I didn't do it myself because of my children. I believe they're really the only reason I'm alive today. And what changed for me that brought me here to answer your question is an act of kindness. And, and these people will never know, you know, who they woke up because I'm committed now to, to bringing light into the darkest places. And in, in this moment, I ended up taking a, um, an emergency medicine course. I thought, I don't want to be a cop, but I want to help people. I don't know what to do. I felt like I had no life and except being a mom, which I did love, but I felt there was no Jesse. I only had molded myself to be what I needed to be to keep the peace. And in this course, which I was petrified, I ended up flunking because my ex broke his leg and it was just all this drama and it devastated me. I, I'm the good girl. I mean, I studied, I had tabs on all my books. I, I was like ready, but it was a 10 chapter quiz. I was in the hospital in the morning at lunch after work. I mean, it, I, 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 I couldn't do it. Teacher realized something was going on at home, asked me what was going on. I shared with him and he said, look, I'll make you an offer. He said, I won't give you a fail. I'll give you an incomplete if you promise to take the course again next semester. And I, I jumped on it. It's like elated to have a fail was just like the biggest thing for me at that time. So what happened is the course is half lecture, half scenarios. And he let me audit the class. So I became the patient for the students. So I was placed on stairwells, under cars, uh, you know, in bushes, on trees. And, and I'm like introverted. I live in shame. My head looks, I don't make eye contact with anybody. And all of a sudden I'm being strapped to a gurney. Right? <laughs> and I'm petrified. Like if my husband saw this, I'd be dead right now. But what happened is these people are like picking leaves out of my hair and they're helping me up and they're like thanking me. And they're being so gracious because I'm helping them with their past their course. And they were being so kind. And then I created this video. This is back in 2003. So like, it's not like now we shoot videos on our iPhones and, you know, it's super easy. Back then you actually took pictures and you put it all together. And I created this video and uh, of their journey and they all pulled together and put money and bought me a, a Best Buy card, which seems like the smallest thing. But for me, it, 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 created a short circuit in my brain. I'm like, wait a minute, you guys did this for me? Like, I don't understand. My father had told me, everyone wants to get in your pants, Jesse, so don't trust. My husband had told me, Jesse, people subconsciously want to break up a good thing. So don't talk about our marriage to anybody. So I always saw through the lenses of like, people are out to get you, people are not to be trusted. And then these people behaved in a way that was kind. I didn't, I didn't even know to call it kindness. What I knew is, something short-circuited in me. And I thought, if this feeling is available, life is worth living. And it gave me the courage to get out of my marriage and to finally make the change that I needed to make. And what happened after that, it was hell on earth because he was not happy. So there was death threats. There was all kinds of stuff that I was having to navigate. But what it created in me was an unsatiable hunger to understand humanity. I wanted to know why my dad did what he did, why my mom allowed it, didn't hear me, why my husband did what he did, and why I allowed it. And I started to read. I started to pick up books. I started to go to workshops. I was going to therapy. I was like literally any seminar, anything I could do to just help bring understanding. My therapist, I told, I looked at her and I said, you know, I want to do what you do. 
but that's a lot of school and that's a lot of time, <laughs> you know? And she said, why don't you become a coach? And at this point it was probably about 2005. And I'm like, coach, like soccer coach, like, what are you talking about? Right. Um, and so I looked at, I looked at, into it and I researched it and I did, I went through coaches training Institute and I became certified as a life coach and I fell in love with it because as you know, when you start to learn coaching, you coach yourself first, you put yourself through the, the gauntlet. Right. Um, then from that, I went to a Tony Robbins event. I'm like, Oh my God, I, I was trying to build my coaching practice while working 10 hour days in corporate, in, in corporate America. So, um, it was not happening. When I went to Tony Robbins, I was like, oh, my God, I want to work here. I want to be a part of this. And um, the story as to how I got there is another amazing one that I'll save for a later time. But I finally got there and I was able to be a coach for Tony for six, almost seven years. And which that gave me the opportunity to coach people all over the world. But then I went in through my own spiritual awakening and I wanted more. I wanted more of the human spirit. It wasn't just about learning how to navigate mindset. It's about healing. So I went through, you know, I've worked apprenticed with shamans for a year. I, I went to India, got meditation instructor. I've worked with HeartMath, became a trainer, all this stuff. But nothing has shown me who I am today, like my journey. My darkest moments, the, the moments where, you know, you take an uppercut in life and you think that you just can't lift your head up one more day. And then you do. And to bring this full circle and close, I had thought I had seen my darkest days. I, I, I've done so much to, to work on me and to get myself to a place where I can serve others. And then November of last year, my little brother was murdered. And uh, it was an uppercut that I did not expect. It blindsided me. And what I got from that moment is I had to eat my own medicine at a time when I was, I could go to rage. Um, frustration, utter sadness. I, I'm literally re my brother killed 29 years ago, and now my little brother. And I'm like, what the frick, right? I'm like, what in the hell? And so I had to eat my own medicine, and I had to listen to what I now teach, and I had to seek the light in my deepest moments of sorrow. And what I was able to witness was my family coming together like I've never seen before. I was able to witness my brother's daughters who came together all from different mothers, didn't know each other, like came together like they'd been sisters since they were babies. I got witness to people posting about the difference my brother had made in their lives. I got to see the smidgens of light in each of those moments. And for me, I, I was asking God, <laughs> If, if, if my brothers are not meant to live this life with me and you're leaving me here to live it, what do you want with me? And that had me seeking for what that looks like and what I get to create for my deepest, darkest of pain, which is what I now profess even more is that we can bring light. There's always light. I don't believe God wastes the pain. I believe we do if we choose to. So I'll pause there. But that is literally, it, it has been in the in the turbulence of my darkest days that brought me to be a seeker of where the light is in every one of those moments so that I now can give back to humanity in the way that I as one woman can. Wow. There's so much there. And, and thank you for your candor and your transparency. And it it's a huge testament to, again, the power of the human spirit, but more to the idea that I always say that adversity is always in the wings. 
it's, it's always there. But I don't say it in this way to be oppressive or pessimistic or doomsday. I say it to, to say that we shouldn't be surprised when we find adversity. We should be surprised when we do not. Because that indicates that we're not on a path that's forcing us to change, to adapt, to evolve, to get stronger, to get better. And I know a lot of people are going through adversity right now in their lives. Having said that, we still have to give ourselves that capacity to breathe, to step back. We have to go through the five stages, six stages, depends on who you listen to, right? The denial, regret, anger, bargaining, depression, finally acceptance. And many times we oscillate between those, or sometimes we even go back to them if we feel ourselves being weak or if adversity has momentum. So as you were saying, if it's just one thing, sometimes we can step back and allow that and give ourselves that time to process. But oftentimes, like with you earlier, it happens so quickly. And we're in this place of, I'm not even over this thing yet, I'm here. Mm -hmm. And then what else is coming? And now, as you were saying, your entire existence for your first half of your adult life was this idea of you had no agency, you had no strength, you had no decision-making on your on your own simply because that had been taken from you. And then when you were given this gift card, we never know how far reaching any act of kindness or any word that we have now to one person can be to millions of others thereafter. So it is incredible what can be done if we do something with the correct intention. If we allow people to do that back for us as well. How many times have we seen, I've seen peak performers, coaches, authors, CEOs that give everybody empathy and they're very understanding. But when it comes to them, oh no, I don't have time for that. I'm the, no, 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 I don't need it. I'm strong enough. Yeah. Right? And that's their ego that's telling them that they don't. And well, and, it, and it's a misnomer too, because we're not doing a service. And mm -hmm. when I think about the totality of who we are, we are a humanity. So if there's an aspect of you that you are judging, you are judging the whole. So no matter how you show up in the world and what you do, if there's an element of you that you're not in love with, then there's an element of humanity that you are also judging. So we do a disservice by not looking in the mirror and making sure that we are taking care of ourselves and that we are sovereign and that we are strong. And it's a constant. Like you said, it's like adversity. It's like, it's, it's, it's going to be, it's ebbs and flows. It's going to come and it's going to go, but it's who do you get to be in the face of it? And I believe that, you know, if, if God could whisper to you in your darkest moments, when you're down on your knees and you're asking why, and you feel like there's no way out, if God could whisper and say, you know, I know this sucks right now, but I know what's coming. And I know why you need to build resilience and courage right now. And this is the way you're going to do it. And we don't get to know, but we get to trust. We get to trust that what we are facing is there for us and from us and, and for our ability to expand and grow. And we can't, if it's always the same, it's like you go to the gym, you, you lift a weight. If you lift the same weight, your muscle's not going to grow beyond that. So what do you need? You need more resistance. And so that's what happens with challenges. When challenges come, it's the resistance we asked for so that we can continue to build mus muscle and expand and become the greatest versions of us. Because sometimes we don't know what we've got until our knees hit the floor. That's exactly it. And 
so many times it's understanding that the way we conduct ourselves in the face of adversity is an indication of how we will conduct ourselves in every other arena of our lives. Mm -hmm. So if you can have that ability to be courageous, to be candid with yourself and honest, and say, this is hard. And there are times that if we ask why often enough, sometimes we're trying to figure out a way for us to get out of it, a capitulation. We ask over, why is this happening? Why is this happening? The reality is when you're going through some of the most darkest parts of your life, one, just make peace with the idea that you may not know why, but you don't have to to be able to deal with it. More importantly, there's probably never an answer that will be enough when you're suffering. There's never an answer that will make all of this go away necessarily. And that Well, you bring up a really good point, like, um, you know, in regards to the goal, the why question. You know, you know, our lives are in direct proportion to the quality of questions we ask ourselves, right? So if you are saying, why does this always happen to me? Right. We all have that voice that'll say, oh, well, let me tell you, Jesse. <laughs> right. So my yes. question used to be, what's wrong with me? God, what's wrong with me? Why can't I figure this out? Why can't I get this right? Or what? You know, and so when I ask what's wrong with me, that part of my psychology, that, that sabotaging voice says, well, let me tell you, Jesse, this, that and this and that. Keep in score. This is why. This is what's wrong with you. So. We have to be mindful. I always say we have to have a gatekeeper at the center of our brain, right? You wouldn't let somebody walk in with muddy shoes over your white carpet. Why do you allow thoughts to enter your brain, right, that you don't get permission to? So questions, powerful questions are super important. How is this here as an opportunity for my expansion? What muscle are you calling me to build in this moment? God, universe, source, whatever your belief is, you know? How could I be the best version of myself in this moment? What would love do right now? Like these kind of questions invoke a different part of you that calls forward what I call the superhero, right? The inner superhero. We all have that part of us. The one that got up when it didn't make sense, when you were bloodied and bludgeoned, right? Like I love that part of Invictus, bloodied and bludgeoned, but unbowed, yes. right? Like that moment and you get back up, right? that there's an opportunity for that every single time. And we aren't witness to it. When we look back at our past, it's like, um, you know, people say uh, in personal development, I won't name names, but they say your past doesn't equal your future. I think it does. The problem is we're not taught to look at that right. side. We're taught to remember how hurt we were, how what, how we were caused damage or the trauma that we went through. We're not being witness to the beautiful child that got back up and still decided to be kind and still decided to be courageous and still decided to persevere and become a, a beautiful citizen of society. What about that part of your past? Because it is also true, right? I tell people like when I was a little girl, I used to build traps to warn me when my dad was coming in my room and they never worked <laughs> every now and again, but somehow I felt better being warned that he was coming. And so people can look at that and go, how horrible that a little girl had to build traps to warn her of her father. And that's true. That sucked. And yeah, it's not okay. But what's also true is that I was massively resourceful. I made some pretty cool traps, you know, and I was creative and I was courageous at even the thought. So that is also true. 
And when I start to be witness to that part of Jesse, then I get to fall in love with her versus condemn her or victimize her. Both are true. This one, how sad, hurts me, makes me feel bad, makes me feel weighted. This one over here, I get to cheer her on and I get to see her beauty and I get to see her strength and I get to see her perseverance. I get to feed whichever one I want. Both are true, but we're not taught, right? Society teaches us to notice what's wrong, not what's right. So when you hear your past doesn't equal your future, it absolutely can. You just got to decide which part of your past you're going to call forward. Well, in the, the past, like you say, it does dictate our future because of the way we conducted ourselves in that past. Mm-hmm. Are we willing to learn? Do we see the pattern? Are we are we repeating it? Are are we unaware of it? Sometimes the true gift of adversity is not putting ourselves in the same position over and over to become that victim, to feel disempowered. And even with that idea that you were saying about asking questions, it, it is so true. If I am asking why all the time, eventually I will find a reason to to give up. When we ask disempowering questions, we have no other option than to have disempowering answers. So we have to do the things that force us to call forward that superhero or the warrior or whatever it is in your mind. And as you think about this, you can think of a person or an idea that embodies those things. So if you think of a person, if you think of um, a person that you looked up to or uh, a person that's fictitious or a person from the past, whether it be Gandhi, whether it be Julius Caesar, Think about what would that person do in this moment? What advice would they give you? How would they conduct themselves in the face of this adversity? And then frankly, are you willing to step into that? But just that small step of changing that vantage point is everything. Adversity, if we see it as hardship, that's all it will be. If we see it as opportunity, it will be also. And those things sort of sound corny to some people. But the truth is we don't actually get to see the gift of it until well beyond once we're able to look back on it in retrospect, and usually it's when we're safe. So like a child with a hot stove, right? We, we go away from it. And even with me, I was paralyzed for months. And then when I got some of my, a little bit of physicality back, there was that hub- hubris mm-hmm. that clicked in. And I took my eye out the ball and I became a little bit arrogant. I was like, oh, see, I could overlook this. You know, I was able to get through this thing. They, I died on the table twice. I could be able to walk out this paralysis thing. But then when I did that, I physically regressed. I physically plateaued and went backwards. And that's what forced me to get to the place of saying, okay, I'm accepting all of this, all of it, warts and all. If this is the reality, and it is, what will I do now? Not bargaining, not complaining. I've done all the right things in my life. I'm a good person. I've never done anybody any wrong. Why is this happening to me? Mm. Again, it doesn't necessarily have to have a reason, but it's here right now. And until you face it, until you're able to walk through that thing, you're never going to be able to get to the next place. And what you're describing in families and relationships, these these blind spots that we have, how many times do we see people reproduce that? Not only in their relationships, but even, dare I say business, right? You have a CEO that has a certain characteristic or a certain weakness or a certain toxicity. They will create that. So if it's around money, that's going to create certain dynamics between the CFO or the salesperson. If it's about trusting people, then it may manifest in HR. If it's about not being able to maintain your own integrity with who you are and how you lead, then that means you're going to have inconsistency with the people. Your morale is going to be down. 
And a lot of people, you know, oh, lead by example and build communication and have trust. It's like, that's, that's great on a checklist. But what happens when there's no trust there? Right. What happens when there's zero communication? What happens when the people don't respect the leaders enough to follow them? Because those are the questions we have to answer because that's where people get stuck. They may go to a certain point, another plateau there, and now they don't have the capacity or the understanding that they have to step away, look around at what else is going on, and then unpack this thing in a way that serves them as opposed to, again, well, this is what we're doing wrong and this is what's going on and the KPI says this or the PNL over the last quarter said this. It's like, well, those are symptomatic. We have to find the causation. And once we can do that, everything else magically takes care of itself. Well, this is why I value like someone like you, Marcus, and what you're doing and the message you're putting out to the world, because it, we aren't taught this, right? Yeah. We aren't taught. And, and if you think about society, what's being implanted in our brains is man's inhumanity to man. And so it's all survival, dog eat dog world. You got to get yours, you know, like, and, and get, 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 I'm going to get mine because otherwise others will take it. And so it's hitting us against each other. And, you know, from like earlier, you were saying in regards to making a difference, one of the, one of the things I want to shout out from the loudspeaker, especially right now where, you know, ever since COVID, there's been such a turbulence in our nervous system around who we now think we are and who we thought our friends were. And now they have a difference of opinion. So now they're uneducated and stupid. I mean, it's just like insane, right? I don't believe COVID was the problem. COVID just woke up the pain body, the unhealed, unprocessed wounding of society. And, you know, if we, if we can stop and recognize we are not helpless. One of the things that wasn't talked about is why aren't we talking about wellness? Why aren't we talking about mental, emotional well-being, emotional intelligence? We're not like we're, we're, we're so suppressed in our emotions that one thing like that happens and we are emoting like a loose fire hose. Right. All over the place. Right. And it, and it didn't really have as much to do with that issue as it did with the wounding and what that now made it mean. And so it's like crazy. We're not we're not taught this. It's always like, you know, look out, watch your back. You know, my mom watches the news and she calls me and she's like, Jesse, the world is so terrible. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, no, mom, it's not. It's not. Hang up the phone and get some tissues and Google random acts of kindness and watch the beauty of humanity. It is not what's ingrained in our brains. What's ingrained is all the bad we're doing to each other versus getting out there and loving each other. And what I want all to know is that we are not helpless. When the world looks like it's in massive chaos and it's like, oh my God, what are we going to do? The whole world's going under. Let's hide in a bunker. No, like you are powerful in your ability to raise another human being, to uplift one act of kindness. You don't get to know the repercussion. You don't know, like the people will never know who they woke up when they were kind to me. You don't get to know, but you get to choose how you show up. And right now, your one compliment to the Starbucks lady could change the trajectory of her life because you have no clue what chaos she's going through. And that one message from a stranger can literally unpack years of unworthiness or whatever it just it just creates a spark in the little left flicker they have in their soul enough to have them make different decisions and to wake up to their own sovereignty so we are not powerless we are powerful we've just decided that being kind and expressing love is is the cool thing to have but it doesn't pay the bills 
And when I was told that years ago, it was really hard because I'm like, well, then what the frick do I do with myself? Because this is what I know myself to be, right? But it's just like kind of like the pat on the head. That's really nice, Jesse, but it doesn't pay the bills. So, you know, and like now I'm like, you know what? If you don't love your clients, you won't have any. If you don't love your employees, they will not be connected to your mission. And if you do not love your family, they will leave you. So tell me, it's not about freaking love. It's the truth. I interviewed a Navy SEAL, former Navy SEAL officer who was a Navy SEAL under Jocko Willink when they were training to deploy. His name is Nick Norris. And he said, you have to show your men love. And he said, now the SEALs don't call it love, but they call it respect, trust, admiration, attaboys when you do a good job, a problem-solving mentality if they fail. That's what we do. And that's what is necessary. And so for everybody that's listening right now, you have this tremendous experience and you're turning it into something that's that's changing the world. For the people that are in a place now where they are, they have no agency. They don't feel like they have any strength. They don't feel like they have any power or any choices. Anxiety is defined as choosing not to choose. So we kind of get stuck in that cycle. What is something that you would tell somebody that feels like they're in this place where... I mean, this dead end job, this dead end relationship, or this this existence that doesn't feel like there's any reason for me to do anything other than what I'm doing now. What would you tell them to embolden their behavior? It's a great question. You know, I have a belief that our innate nature is to love. We're born in love. We're taught to hate. And there's nothing like the moment that the human spirit comes alive. So when you feel like you're spinning in a whirlpool of like unworthiness or like you can't get out and you're stuck, I know it sounds small. It's simple, not always easy because we're stuck in the spinning of us, me, 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 me. When you're in that place, go give, go, go out. I don't care if you volunteer. I don't care if you just walk somebody, a little old lady across the street, whatever it is, it pops open your heart to believe that life is worth living and it takes you out of your problems and it brings you to solutions, right? I don't remember who said, um, it was Henry Ford who said it, be, be solution-minded versus problem-focused, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like get outside of your current situation. One, know that you are worth it. You are worth seeking answers. Two, go talk to somebody. Go call. I don't care if it's a stranger at the freaking coffee shop that you just happen to talk. You deserve to be heard. You are not alone. That's another misnomer. I know it feels like you are, like nobody understands. Your family's abandoned you. You have no friends. Like in my world, like when the disruption of my marriage, it was so, he he was so good that my own family showed up in court on his behalf. Not all, but that's how alone I felt. Like literally, like, I don't, I don't even know. And my fault too, because I had, we moved an hour away and I distanced myself from my family, but he was such a good talker and such a good manipulator. It's just like, you know, and my, my fault was I kept the secret. Right. And, and shame lives in secrecy. And I, I was a shame expert. So I didn't talk about any of it. So we, people would come to us for marital advice and I would sit there and go, but I played the role. I hit it. I I cried my eyes out, put new makeup on. You know, I just, I kept doing that. So when I decided this isn't working, everyone thought I had a problem. What's your problem? 
the man loves you because when he talked about me, I was the greatest thing on earth. But behind closed doors, how dare I pull out a shirt for him to wear that had a stain on it? And I was all kind of, you know, words that I will not say. So that's what was going on. So I played the role. The point being is that you are not alone. There are people that care. There are services that will offer support. You know, in fact, right now, I've I've had nothing but a main focus on what I'm currently building, which is called the Army of Angels. And the Army of Angels is going to be a mastermind that is focused on philanthropy in a way that's never been done before. I call it a boots on ground. It's not writing a check to a nonprofit. It's actually hands on, whether it's kindness coalitions, whether it's just getting a group together that goes to the you know, uh, wounded warriors and reads to them because they have no family. I don't care what it is. There are people that care and we're coming for you. So just know that you're not alone. Speak on what you're going through. There are people that care. And that one person might just be the one that says something in you that short circuits you. I had a moment where it was very volatile at the end of my marriage and my ex was making death threats and whatnot. And the police had called me at work and they wanted me to ID this person that had made a death threat on my answering machine. And I was petrified. I'm like, oh my God. And this was um, my ex-husband's buddy who he had make the call. And I was, I was terrified. I was like, no, there's no way if he finds out I, I, I sold out his friend, I'll, he, I don't know what he'll do. The police said, look, we can't stop this if you don't help us you know so i met them in the parking lot of the local community college that i was going to and i was sitting in the back of the police car after i id'd this person and i have no idea what look i had on my face but this police officer who opened the door and he had leaned in and he looked at me and all he said was you know you don't have to live this way and it, I, I call it short circuit moments it was another mm-hmm. like you do the puppy cock like huh like what do you mean like This is all the life I know. I don't know that it can be different. And just that seed that he planted, it was enough to make me think I can have, I can live different. Like, wait, what? You know, all men aren't like this. You mean there's another way I could, I could be happy. I don't understand. And I didn't in the moment, but in the, it, it, it caused me to think differently. So when you are in your situation, reach out, talk to that one person might just say the one thing that you need to help you get the strength to get out of your situation. There's always people that want to help. And I'll I'll close this topic with this. I love this quote from Mr. Rogers. You're ancient enough like me to know who Mr. Rogers is. (laughs) Um, You know, he, um, during 9-11, where everybody, you know, parents are watching the two buildings and the airplanes over and over and over again on repeat. The children were scared. They don't understand. They're just seeing this on TV. They're seeing their their parents in, you know, chaos. Mr. Rogers would get down on one knee at their level and he would look them in the eye and he says, whenever there is chaos, there's helpers. Look for the helpers. And I I love that quote because when you think about just using 9-11 as an example, you've got firefighters running into the fire. You've got, you know, buildings are falling and they're going inside to pull people out. There's strangers that are holding the hand of someone they've never met before because they might be taking their last breath. Like there's there's this beauty all around. And if we start to start to seek the helpers, they're always there. And again, 
look for the light in the darkest moments. So even though you might be in your darkest moment right now, there is light, but you have to seek it. Seek it. There's someone that's waiting to hear from you. They are. And as you're saying too, especially if we feel like there's nothing we can do or we feel disempowered, oftentimes there's somebody, something, some movement, some group that we could step into that. We could step in and help assist with that. And that gives us that purpose. That gives us that meaning. Again, like you said, it removes the mirror from ourselves to, well, what can I do for the people around me? So that's very empowering. And what does that do? That encourages more movement. That encourages that momentum to continue to go in that direction. When we're stagnant, it feels impossible. If I'm at the bottom of the mountain, I just see the very top. I look up there. It's like, there's how am I going to get there? But when you're just like, I'm just going to put my foot forward and just this next foot forward. And just well, and you know, you, even saying that just a simple foot forward, engage your body, engage Absolutely. your body. Like Absolutely. when you can't, you think like you're spinning in your thoughts or whatever, you know, stand up, shake your body out, do pushups, do right. sit up, do whatever, dance, put on music, like literally invite your body to vibrate differently because it literally is responding to your thought process. So your thought is like, I'm in despair. I'm depressed. I have no way out. So your body, you start to deplete, your shoulders start to drop and your physiology is now matching what you are saying. So in the moment where you feel like you can't shift your thoughts in that moment, because it seems so bad, go for a run, like just stand up and shout, whatever it is, but change your physiology. Because oftentimes when you stand, like I say, a superhero, Right. If I stand like Wonder Woman, it's really hard for that sabotaging voice to enter because she does not sit in this physiology. So in that moment where you can interrupt the process of your mindset, change your body, go get a drink, go call somebody, whatever it is. And in that moment, now you can invite hope, you know, a, a promise for a different future, a dream, whatever it is you need to give you that lifeline to make different choices. Absolutely. Motion creates emotion oftentimes. And it gives mm-hmm. us, like you said, agency in that. Going for walks outside, my wife and I, that's one of our non-negotiables. And what are you doing? You're checking so many boxes. Time together, cleaning the slate, sunlight, air, oxygen, moving. It, it It's one of the very simple things we can do. And I'm not saying that you're going to be enlightened every single time you do it, but I am saying that no day has ever gotten worse from exercising or from taking a walk, or from going outside and stretching. Having genuine, no bullshit gratitude. Like All these are things that will embolden us and serve us in a way that will help us build back. I know that we only have a little bit more time, but I would like to ask you a couple more questions because what you have is so powerful and pragmatic. There are people now that will go through something difficult, some sort of adversity, and they will just remain in that place. And there are others that will eventually break through the way that you're talking about. When they've gotten through this, but they still feel themselves, there's still this, that's still something that I hate the word triggers, but it's the thing that still gets to them. What is something that they can do to redirect once they've been in that place? And now this thing that used to cause them so much turmoil or anxiety or fear or anger or hate. They're through the initial part of it, but how can they cope with it in that real moment? And then how can they do that to move forward in a way that continues to empower them? Well, one of the biggest things that we do and we don't realize it, we unconsciously create meaning around what's happening. So if you can stop, take a breath. I'm an advocate of breathing. We don't do it enough. It's underrated. (laughs) Um, It's becoming bigger now, but literally recalibrate yourself, get to your center. If this 
trigger or this situation is happening again and you find yourself going into, oh my God, here it is again. Like be witness. And I'm going to bring love and forgiveness to the table every single time. There's, if something is repeating, it's literally God in the universe trying to tell you, you have unhealed stuff you need to look at. So there's a part of you that is still wounded. That part of you needs your love. And that part of you needs your forgiveness for judging yourself for even having had the adversity. Because like me, when I was a little, I, I mean, I used to self-condemn to no end. Like I would self-judge. I would like the abuse with my father. It's your fault. You should have kicked. You should have screamed. You should have peed yourself. You should have spit. You should have bit. I mean, I had all kinds of things that I should have done as a little girl. That was the self-condemnation that I had within me, blaming myself for what happened. So when something in the future starts to trigger an old thing, to me, it's just like, get excited. It's feedback. It's information. It's like, oh, there's an aspect of me that needs my love. It's still unhealed. She's still not trusting. This situation feels like that situation. Crap, here it is again, self-condemn. Stop right there. And recognize that this is just an opportunity for you to bring love and forgiveness to the aspect of you that is freaking out, thinking it's happening again. If it's there again, it's there for your expansion or for your condemnation, but you get to choose. That's it. And it's, again, this decision that we get to make. We we can deal with adversity two different ways, correctly or again. And if it is continually repeating, like you said, there has to be a pattern there. And until we're able to step back and be honest. Uh, again, I'm not trying to say that things do happen and things are are difficult at times. I'm not saying that they're not. I'm trying not trying to wipe them away, but I am saying that, right. again, that idea, the event itself can be neutral if we so choose, and then we can decide how are we going to respond in this moment. How, well, I have um, a belief that everything happens for our highest and greatest good, even the suck. Even oh yeah. the suck. Oh, yeah. So, don't bypass the human experience. Feel your feelings. If you're angry, feel the anger. Anger's not good or bad. It just is. And you know what? If someone's coming through the door to rape me, I darn well hope I can access them. I was say, yeah, you know anger, I mean? is, anger so, is good at times for sure. It is, right? So feel your feelings. You can't bypass that. Part of the, the whole spiritual movement and awakening and all that stuff, which I absolutely love, and <laughs> we're bypassing the human experience and we cannot right. do that. We have to feel what we feel. If it makes us sad, if it makes us frustrated, feel it, but put a clock on it. <laughs> I'm going to feel angry, kick, scream, yell obscenities, do whatever you want for freaking, you know, 30 minutes. You'll find that after five minutes, you're probably done, but you're giving permission to ex- right. experience what you're feeling and then start to ask the questions. How is this here for my highest and greatest good? What's the opportunity here for me to learn or to grow or to expand, right? So don't bypass the human but also start to see it as something that is there for you, not to you. That's it. I I literally gave that advice to somebody on one of my calls this morning, because like you said, when we try to bypass the emotion, all we do is push it down and it's going to fester. And that emotion can be fear, anger. It can be resentment. It can be any of these things. So when we feel that, that dissonance, whatever it will be, anger, anxiety, fear, we need to pay attention to it because that's an indication from our internal body that my belief and my actions are not congruent. And this is what creates this dissonance. And until I get one or the other in line, it's going to only grow, get louder. And then what happens? That internal dialogue that we're talking about is powerful because 
it affects us. But if we take accountability and ownership and say, listen, eventually the people closest to me, that's how I'm going to engage them. That's how I'm going to talk to them. So if I talk to my wife in a way that's not necessarily negative because I'm beating myself up, if I talk to my daughter that way, and I heard somebody else think that way to them, there's no way I would stand for that. So taking that ownership, taking that understanding, that will give us even more opportunities to realize how important this work is. And also, again, we, we always think that it's further down the line, that it's on the horizon, but not close. But it's approaching faster than we think. So don't give yourself an out. Don't say, I'll do it later. Don't say, I'm busy. Don't say, I've really got a lot going on right now. You're always going to be busy. There's always going to be something. But if everything is a priority, then nothing is a priority. So prioritize the stuff that actually matters to you and just double down on that. Because if, you, if you're not acting on it, it's just platitudes. They're not words. It's octa number, right? That's right. And that's, that's the right. notion. I could talk to you for hours and thank you so much for your time. Tell us about, you have a, a 10 steps that you were talking about with the PDF and then tell us where we can find out more about you, follow you, learn about you, everything. Absolutely. Yes, the 10 steps. It's a it's a 10-step guide to freedom. Mm-hmm. And, you know, earlier you asked me, you know, if someone's in their dark moment right now and they're in despair, this 10-step guide will give you a reference of what you can do right now in this moment, even though it looks bleak from your eyes and you don't have the money or the resources or the help or whatever. This 10-step guide will give you simple steps to start shifting um, your your position right now in a way that gives you power and each little step empowers you to see your own strength so that you can keep going. So it's a, it's something I want to offer your audience. Thank you for having me here. And yes, unshakablelife.com is my website. Um, Army of Angels and Mastermind, we're launching that on September 15th. So that website will be uh, ourarmyofangels.com, which is that uh, group, uh, Mastermind Philanthropic Focus. And also you can find me on Instagram at Jesse Torres Official. Uh, These are all ways that you can get a hold of me. But, you know, I, I just want all your audience to know that my outcome is to awaken that human spirit in each individual that I possibly can. I I'm committed. I think the blow of my little brother's um, death uh, a few months ago has deepened my conviction that in the moment that you think you're seeing your darkest day, let it be the call to your spirit to dig your heels deeper in aspirations of living your life with passion, purpose, and impact, because we are here for each other. If we're not here for each other, why are we here, (laughs) right? If you do something, you celebrate it, you want to share it with someone you love, someone you care about. We're not meant to go it alone. So know that somebody's out there and, and if I can serve you and I can support you, I'm happy to do so. And thank you so much, Marcus, for having me. I really appreciate it. Jesse Torres, thank you so much for, for your love and for your courage. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Okta Nonverba. If this message resonates with you, please share it out with others on social media. Hit that subscribe button and leave a review for the show anywhere you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please go to MarcusAureliusAnderson.com and join his Octa Nonverba Inner Circle to get exclusive content, news, and information. Until next time, remember, talk is cheap. Live your life based on actions, not words.